Welcome to Hands on Health, the podcast all about living your healthiest life on the coast. I'm your host, Felicia Struvi. I had a great conversation with physician assistant Emma Todd for National Influenza Vaccination Week. Of course, the flu shot isn't the only vaccine people are talking about in 2020. It seems like everyone is talking about the COVID-19 vaccines that are being developed, and one of which is being distributed in the UK this week. In this episode, Emma helps us set reasonable expectations and explains how the flu and COVID are different. We also dive into the process of creating a vaccine and how the COVID vaccines differ from older vaccines. Whether you're ready to roll up your sleeve or you're still on the fence, I really encourage you to listen. Emma does a great job of explaining how the flu and COVID vaccines work. Just a hint, the COVID vaccines make you the builder. Hi, Emma. Hi, Felicia. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Well, the world just seems to change so much between uh, each time we talk. I know. It's a little bit much to keep up with, isn't it? (laughs) It feels like it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, As we are chatting in the beginning of December, there are, what, three possible COVID-19 vaccines on the horizon. There are. Isn't that exciting? That's very exciting. Yes. It's like maybe normal life is is a couple months away. Maybe not quite that close, but perhaps <laughs> in the perhaps in the you know, I like part of my job is setting reasonable expectations for people and um although I consider myself a very optimistic person, I like to kind of temper that with some realism and So I think, yes, vaccines are coming, which is really excellent news. And I am hoping is going to restore us to some sort of semblance of what is normal or what we used to consider normal. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably in the next, I would say, year is a more reasonable expectation for people to have. Are you getting a lot of questions from patients? Um, I do get questions. I'm not, I'm not sure I'd say it's a lot of questions, but I definitely have patients coming in and it's more expressing what you just expressed, which is, oh my gosh, a vaccine is coming soon. Everything's going to go back to the way it was. And I really appreciate their enthusiasm and I don't want to discourage anybody, but I think that it's going to take a little bit longer than people expect maybe for everyone to get vaccinated. Um, And, you know, sometimes still for us to catch up and see exactly what the implications of that vaccination are in terms of protecting us, Mm -hmm. you know, and how, you know, how much relaxing we can do on social distancing and masking and all of that, I think, is still to be determined. Right. There's this number with each of them, of course, which is this effectiveness number. Yeah. And maybe could you help explain what that means. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, basically when they say that the vaccine has a 90% efficacy, what they're telling you is that 90% of the people that took the vaccine were protected against developing COVID. And that's getting the full uh, course of the vaccine. So that's not just one dose in most cases, it's two or three, depending on the vaccine. Exactly. Yes. So when they say that they have like 20 million doses, if the vaccine is going to require two doses per person, then that's covering 10 million people, right? 
Okay. So it's really important for people to keep that in mind and not get ahead of themselves and think like, oh, our problems are solved. Well, and then if you spread those 10 million out over the entire country, yep, then you still don't, you don't know if you're in that 10%. So you still have to be cautious, even if you've been vaccinated, if the yep. rates of vaccinations not very high. Yep. I had a, I had a patient today who was asking me if she would get the vaccine right away. And, you know, so we had a discussion about, well, you know, the first people that are going to get it are healthcare workers who are dealing directly with patients that have COVID. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that, it's supposed to be um, residents of long-term care facilities. So like your grandmother who lives in a nursing home, she would be next on that list. And then probably after that, it's going to be other healthcare workers, other first responders, so like firefighters, um, emergency medical personnel, um, you know, like uh, paramedics and stuff, you know, and then we start sifting through all of the like higher risk patients who are not in a long-term care facility, but are just living on their own. So, you know, the people that are elderly with COPD and diabetes, that type of thing. Right. So, so those of us who are neither in healthcare or in a high risk job and don't have high risk in terms of our, our health or our age or any of that, we've got to wait. You do, but you can also consider yourself very fortunate that <laughs> you're True. young and that you're young and healthy otherwise and not working in a job where you are likely to be exposed. So, right. so yes, unfortunately those people will have to wait, but also that's appropriate, you know, Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you said, um, when you said, fortunately, you're young and healthy, that, uh, that brought to mind one of my concerns and, and the reason why my entire family's been vaccinated against the flu this year. Um, I was 30 years old. I was athletic and I got the flu. And then I got a secondary infection of pneumonia and I was out for a whole month. And yeah. not only me, but my husband, my kids, we all had not only the flu, but then each of us had our own secondary infections. There was bronchitis, there were ear infections. Yeah, It was a mess. And that was just the flu, right? Yeah. And when you look at the severity of uh, COVID, friends of mine who've had it, it's just, it really knocks you down. If you get a, a solid case of COVID, you are, you're out for at least a month, if not several months. Yep. So I know it's um, a lot of people who don't, or, well, I know there's discussion, at least among people I know, about whether or not to get the flu vaccine this year. And some are like me, and they say, ah, I really don't want to get the flu and something else like COVID. Mm -hmm. um, and then some are like, well, we're not going out. We're not going to get it, right? So I'm going to yeah. throw that in your lap. <laughs> what do you say to that? Um, I mean, I am a huge proponent of vaccines. In general, I think that they are very safe and there really isn't like an easier thing that you can do to protect yourself than get a vaccine. In your case, when you got the flu, you had what is the most common complication, which is to get pneumonia, okay? That happens frequently, and that's one of the things that as a provider, I'm always on the lookout for. Is this patient developing a pneumonia along with their flu, right? 
Yeah. But getting a vaccine to the flu is such an easy thing to do. The most common thing that happens when you get the flu vaccine is you get a little bit of like warmth or redness at the injection site, which is usually in your arm. And then you may feel a little bit under the weather for a couple days, which is completely normal. That's your body mounting its normal immune response to the vaccine, which is what, exactly what you want to have happen. So some people develop a low-grade fever. They get that feeling of malaise, which is just that general feeling of like, I don't feel that great. I feel like I'm sick a little bit, right? And that kind of lasts for like 48 hours. And then people are usually totally fine. I get the flu vaccine every year. I have never gotten sick from the flu vaccine. I did read a study a few years back that shows that people who get the flu vaccine year after year after year, like I do, because I've been working in healthcare for so long, they have additive protection. So what that means is you have the protection from this year's vaccine, but also some of the protection from the year before that and the year before that and the year before that, it all carries forward. And so the way I normally explain this to my patients is someone like me who gets the flu vaccine every single year gets more protection than someone who's getting it for the very first time that year, because I have the benefit of this vaccine plus the eight that came before it, you know, right. for the previous eight years. If you're just getting it for the first time, then, you know, that's great. And I don't ever want to discourage that. I want people to get their vaccines. But like, just keep that in mind that like, even if this year, this year's flu vaccine is only, let's say 30% effective, that's fine, because it protects you this year and next year, and so on and so forth, because your immune mm -hmm. system has this amazing memory, and it can remember all of those things that it's come in contact with, which is really mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. Well, I know that a lot of people are worried about their kids at this time, not getting exposure to normal colds and, and that sort of thing, and that their immune system might not develop as well. But it seems like making sure that they are getting their vaccines is a big part of that because that is an exposure. And mm -hmm. it, and not only is it an, it an exposure, it's also um, high enough doses in most cases to protect them against, you know, all of those childhood illnesses that we, that we put our kids through the shots for every, you know, every couple months. Yep. Well, what are the differences right now when you are seeing patients come in and they're, they're not feeling well? Are there differences in symptoms that lead you to believe somebody's got flu or they need to be tested for COVID? Or, or are you just, are you being really cautious and everybody who comes in who's, who's got some of these runny nose, um, you know, not feeling well, are they all getting tested for both? Obviously, that's going to be very provider dependent. So I, okay, so I used to work in urgent care, I worked in urgent care for a year and a half, and through multiple flu seasons. And I can tell you that a presentation that a patient has can oftentimes be less classic than what we think. So most people think the flu is always, you know, fever, fatigue, which is just that feeling of really being tired, and then the body aches, so like all your muscles hurt. But I have seen, you know, I see little kids, they get a lot of GI symptoms. So they have an upset stomach, they might have nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. And then elderly patients, a lot, I would have a lot of older people come in and they would say, I just don't feel right. Something is not right. And when I would probe a little bit deeper, they would say, I've just been really tired for the past few days. And their flu was positive. They had nothing else going on. 
you know, in general, they felt fine other than they were just tired and felt a little bit run down. Um, so I have a lower threshold. Like if I suspected at all, I test somebody. Yeah. Um, but the primary symptoms that differ between COVID and the flu would be that loss of taste and loss of smell. Okay. So if you have like the fever and the headache and the body aches, but like everything smells normal and you can still taste all your food like normal, it's probably not COVID. Okay. So that's really what differentiates it for us. So that's, a, that's one to watch for. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. I think it's interesting how you said that flu presents really differently or shows up really differently in people depending on predominantly age. Is that right? Because mm -hmm. I have uh, I have people in my family who believe that they haven't had the flu in almost 50 years mm -hmm. because they haven't had that vomiting diarrhea type of presentation, but they might have had that as a child. Right. And outgrown it. Yeah. Okay. So in all likelihood, if you had a really bad cold, it could have been the flu. Yeah. It okay. could have been, or it could have just been a really bad cold. I mean, you know, it's always hard to tell unless you've tested somebody, you know. Right. And in all honesty, you know, for a cold and the flu, there's really not a lot to do. Okay. So it's all mm -hmm. of the standard things that we already know, which is lots of fluids, lots of rest, and then the things that make you feel better. So taking some Tylenol or ibuprofen, you know, maybe using a cough medication if you have a little bit of a cough and fluids and rest. That's really all we can do is just kind of wait it out and let it run its course. Right. Well, it seems like it's similar for COVID, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we can't really do a heck of a lot for people at this point, but there's been a lot of uh, misinformation out there about COVID is just another flu, but it's not. Yeah, it's not. I think that's, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> Well, let's let's talk through that because I think there are a lot of people out there who just say, oh, this is just another flu. Why is it not just another flu? I mean, first of all, it's a completely different virus. So there's that for us to consider. But in all honesty, at least from what I can see, the people that get sick from COVID get much sicker. And then there's a whole host of things that we don't fully understand yet that could potentially come after. So in medical terms, we call that the sequelae. So it's not the actual illness itself, but all the things that happen two months later or six months later to a person who had that particular illness. I'll use a story of one of my friends. One of my friends contracted COVID and initially she thought she just had like a bad cold. And she went into the emergency room and they tested her and they told her she was COVID positive and she had to go home and quarantine. Well, then she started to feel better. Then she got a lot worse and um, she went back in and they ended up having to admit her to the ICU and she stayed in the hospital for an entire week. I mean, this is a person who's my age. So, you know, like around 40 yeah. and so relatively young. Okay. Um, and then when she finally got better and went home, I would say within two to three weeks, she went back into her doctor's office because she was having pain in her leg and they found a blood clot. Mm -hmm. And there have been a lot of reports of patients that have had COVID having blood clots afterwards. 
And I'm not exactly sure why that happens for them. And I'm not sure that it is known yet why that is fully. But so that's one thing. And then there's believed to be some like residual scarring in the lungs. I've heard reports that the just that overwhelming feeling of like fatigue and being run down can really persist, you know, for weeks to up to a couple months after the initial infection has gotten better. So I've had the flu. It doesn't sound like the flu. To me, it sounds like it's a lot worse, yeah. you know? So I would caution people against having that thought of just equating it to a, a regular flu because I really mm -hmm. think it's they're not the same thing. So not only are you, if you get sick with it, you are likely to get much sicker for longer, but you've got, you called it sequelae, but like, it's like the bad sequel, right? That's exactly. Yeah. We don't want it to have is. a bad sequel. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, exactly. It's like COVID number two. No, thank you. I don't want For... that movie. It sounds terrible. <laughs> it does sound terrible. <laughs> Hey there, it's Felicia. Thanks for listening. I'd love to include your questions or comments in an upcoming episode. To leave me a message, please call 503-338-4654. If you've got a health question, I'll do my best to get you an expert answer. Again, that number is 503-338-4654. Now let's get back to our guest. Well, okay, so let's talk about vaccines and uh, just the process that our medical scientists go through to develop vaccines and that our government goes through to test them and make sure that they're safe. Mm -hmm. Why do why can we trust it? <laughs> so there's the Food and Drug Administration or the, F the FDA, and pretty much their whole job is to try to keep us safe for these types of things. Okay. So anytime that, let's say I own you know, uh, big pharmaceutical company A, and we've developed a vaccine for COVID. And I want to try to bring that out to the market so that I can help people with my vaccine. In order for me to do that, it has to be approved by the FDA. Okay. And so the very first step in that entire process is I have all of this data on my vaccine, that it's safe, and that it does what it's supposed to do. That's its efficacy, right? That it's effective. And so the very first thing is I complete an application and I provide my initial data to the FDA along with my application. And they look over all of that and then they say, okay, this looks pretty good, Emma. I think that, you know, your vaccine might actually work and we want you to move forward with a phase one clinical trial. Okay, so that phase one clinical trial is on a very small group of people who are very closely monitored during that process. And it's really to further evaluate that general efficacy. So it does this product do what we say it's gonna do? Does this vaccine do what I want? And is it safe? Is it gonna harm somebody? So once I pass that first phase, then I can go on to the second phase. And the second phase of clinical trials looks specifically at dosing, okay? So when we have a vaccine and we know that it takes one dose or two doses or three doses or six doses to get uh, adequate protection, we know that because it went through a phase two clinical trial. 
And this usually involves hundreds of people at this stage are evaluated because we already know that it's relatively safe. Okay. We know that, you know, people are not going to take this vaccine and then immediately drop dead from it. Right. So now we can start right. giving it to a larger group of people um, to see like, how much protection do they get with the one dose? Do they get more protection with two doses? Do they get enough protection with three doses? You know, those are important questions to answer because that's really the true effectiveness there. And then the last step is a phase three clinical trial, okay? And that involves thousands of participants, usually all over the country or sometimes all over the world, depending on what the pharmaceutical company is planning to do with the medication or the vaccine. And that's really the final step to evaluate the safety and the efficacy or the effectiveness. Okay. And so that's really where we like hone it all in and collect the last bit of data to say like we know exactly what this product does or doesn't do mm -hmm. at any point in this if the fda is looking at the data and they go wow this vaccine really doesn't do what we think it's supposed to do or this is really unsafe because you know this many people had this exact same reaction and this is really concerning. They can say time out and put a stop on that process and ask the company to go back and provide additional data or do additional tests or revamp a certain aspect of the product itself. So it's a very robust process that generally takes a fairly long time like I used to work at a at a biopharmaceutical company. And so um, their whole focus was on meeting unmet medical needs. And I worked on a biopharmaceutical, which was a monoclonal antibody designed to treat cancer. And mm. so to go from the initial process of like discovering that molecule to taking it all the way to where it's at market. And I, as a patient can go to my doctor's office and get that medication can take 10 years. So it's, it can be a very lengthy process, okay? And that's because so much effort goes into making sure that it's safe. Well, I think that's what brings up the concern with the COVID vaccines. Right now, there are three potentially coming out in the next few months. Mm -hmm. And people, people say, how can we have a safe vaccine in this short amount of time? Because usually vaccines take or medica medications of any sort take that long to develop and test. Right. So what I've read is that the whole timeline's been compressed. It's still going through the same process mm -hmm. as anything else. It's just faster because we need it. I think part of it is that it's been expedited by the FDA. You know, I mean, just like when you order something and you need to get it sooner, you can pay more to get it shipped to you faster and they can speed up the time in the warehouse to put it in the box and ship it out to you. And they can ship it in a method that is faster. So it gets to you faster. I think that there are probably aspects of that process where the timeline could be compressed a little bit to expedite mm -hmm. that. So I think part of it is related to that. And part of it is just related to the type of vaccines that we're seeing. So the flu vaccine, for example, is a live attenuated vaccine. So what that means is they have taken the actual flu virus and chopped it up into little particles, okay? So because it's particles, you can never get the actual flu from the vaccine because it's not the whole virus, but it is still the viral particles. And 
So in order to create a vaccine that is like that, it's very, very challenging. You have to find a way to grow it. So the flu vaccine, for example, is grown in like egg protein Mm -hmm. in general, okay? Um, Or they can grow it up in different, they have other types of cells that they can grow it in, but you have to grow those cells. So one of my very first jobs in the lab was growing cells. They were like my little babies and they're in these special containers and you go in and you feed them and you, you know, after a while, four weeks or whatever period of time it is, you can go in and actually harvest all those cells. Well, that has to happen for the vaccine as well. So it takes time. Exactly. It takes time. Okay. The COVID vaccines are mRNA vaccines. So this is um, basically within our cells is something called DNA, which is deoxyribonucleic acid. It's what everyone knows as like, you know, the life force inside, right? That's where all of our, you know, genes are. I describe it as the blueprint to my kids. Yes. Perfect. Excellent. Yes. So basically what happens is we use DNA to make RNA, okay, which is ribonucleic acid. And from RNA, we make proteins. The COVID vaccines, if you guys have ever seen that like schematic of COVID where it's like a circle with all the little red spiky things on it, those spiky things are the proteins that are on the outside. Okay. And so the COVID vaccine is basically a dose of mRNA that gets put into our bodies and then our bodies use that to make the little spike proteins. Okay. So it's, I'm not going to be able to like explain it all because it's a little bit complicated, but it's an easier process than trying to like actually grow the virus itself in other cell lines because you're just replicating this little piece of genetic code over and over and over again. And then you put that in and then your body does what it normally does, which is turns that into a protein. So it's almost like you're sending out the schematics. Your vaccine is sending out the schematics for this protein Mm -hmm. that is part of the, the COVID virus. Yes. And then with that schematic, your body can recognize COVID sooner rather than having to go through that process of like, T-cells learning about the virus, it it just like shortcuts it? Is that, am I understanding that right? Let's use your, yes, uh, partially. So, and your example is a perfect one. So let's use your example of the schematic. So let's say we're going to build modular homes. I can either build all the homes in my factory and ship them out, or I can just send the people the schematics and they can build it themselves. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's a lot faster for me to just make the schematic and send it to you. And then you build it yourself than it is for me to build the houses and then ship them out. Okay. So building the house and shipping it out is like our flu vaccine. Sending out the schematic and having you build it yourself is the COVID vaccine. Oh, I love it. So simple. (laughs) Yes. So much easier. Thank you, Felicia. You're a genius. (laughs) (laughs) I I just ask the stupid questions and you help clarify. (laughs) You ask all the good questions. Um, So yeah, so that's how it is. So that's part of the reason also why the vaccine can come to the market a lot faster is because we're not building the house. We're sending the schematic out. Your body is building the house. That seems so much smarter. It just, it just, I, and I guess um, part of that is because it's a new vaccine. We've got new technology that we can apply to it. Whereas our flu vaccine, that process is decades old, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, the flu vaccine's been around for quite a long time. So, yep. 
it's been grown in eggs for a long time. It has been. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's see if we can wrap this up for our listeners. What one bit of information should they take away from today? I think, so Felicia, my opinion about vaccines is that in general, they are safe. I think that the companies that develop the vaccines spend a lot of time and money making sure that the vaccine does what they say it's going to do and that it does it safely. And I also believe that in general, the FDA has our the people of the United States has our best interest at heart, right? They really are trying to protect us and make sure that we're getting a product that does what it says and doesn't harm us. So first of all, I think everyone should get the flu vaccine if they can. Like I already said, you cannot get the actual flu from getting the flu vaccine. Most people do get the normal vaccine response okay, which is part of our bodies creating that immune response. So you may get a low grade fever, you may feel under the weather for a couple days, but then you have all this protection and that protection gets carried forward year from year. So I think it's really critical, especially now in the time of COVID, where there's all of this fear about people's health in general, get your flu vaccine, okay. With respect to the COVID vaccine specifically, so two of the vaccines will be going uh, before the FDA in the next couple weeks um, before their advisory panel. And so that's a panel of, you know, scientists and doctors at the FDA who will be meeting also with community scientists and doctors and answering questions and reviewing all of the data and deciding, you know, are these safe to bring to the American people? So we all have to just keep our eyes open and see what happens with that, okay? And trust that if the vaccine has jumped through all of those hoops, that it's safe. Short story to get back to normal life. This is this is where we're going. This is what we need to do. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I don't see that there is gonna be another way at this point. I think our best hope right now lies in us finding a vaccine that will provide us with adequate protection. So I think it's very exciting. I think that, you know, when I think back historically to things like polio and smallpox, I don't know if you've ever, have you ever met someone that had polio, Felicia? I traveled in, uh, yes, I traveled in Africa and there, I, there were beggars on the street who were crippled with stunted, you know, legs and begging. And, and I don't know ever... anybody here yeah, right. But I mean, that's a huge difference. Like these yeah. were people who were my age. Yeah. Whereas I'd been protected my whole life. Mm -hmm. Polio is very debilitating and used to be very common. And I mean, I saw in my pra my previous practicing life, when I first started as a PA, I had literally one patient who had ever had polio because we've essentially eradicated it, right? It's gone right. from the United States at least because everyone's been protected against it by a vaccine. And the same thing for smallpox too. I mean, smallpox is like kills lots of people. It's very, right. very, very fatal. And 
we just don't have it. It's not even a problem anymore, um, which is pretty amazing if you think about it. And so it's such a small, easy thing that you can do to get your flu vaccine or to get a pneumonia vaccine or to get a COVID vaccine when it's available. It's such a small, easy thing that you can do that can really protect yourself, protect your family, protect your community. Yeah. So I implore everyone, please get your vaccines. Wonderful. Well, um, I know I'll be lining up to get my shot when, or shots, multiple, when they're available. Um, yeah. Because, you know, I'd really like to go to the movies again or to go dancing yes. or to go Christmas shopping without worrying about oh. all that. I mean, it's just normal life. I'd, I'd like to get back to it, to have a gathering with friends that doesn't have to be outside masked around a fire in the middle of December. <laughs> all of that. I miss all of that, Felicia. So one yeah. day, hopefully, we will be able to go and do all of our festive and social things again. Um, that is my hope. So Well, and maybe one day you and I will be able to meet without masks so we can see each other's entire faces in person, right? Yes. With smiles. Exactly. <laughs> yes, well, that would be wonderful. Thanks for, thanks for joining me today and I think this has been a really great conversation. I think you've given us so much insight into not only the process of vaccine creation and and just why it's important that we take care of the flu vaccine, like you said, the pneumonia vaccine, all of these just sort of standard vaccines, and that we're ready to get the COVID vaccine when it's available to us. Yep. Very, very, very fun topic to talk about. Yeah. Very important. I think we're probably going to be talking about it more as uh, as we get to the point where COVID, the COVID vaccines are available to people in the community. So um, I look forward to it. Yeah, I look forward to updating you guys. It's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you, Emma. Thank you, Felicia. Take care. You too. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Felicia Struvi, and this has been an episode of Hands on Health, brought to you by Columbia Memorial Hospital.